0: to another episode of the Hoop Talk Podcast by fans for fans. I'm Ryan. There's my guy, Jalen. What's up, everybody? This podcast is where we discuss all things basketball. So expect a lot of hot takes, debates, and a true display of basketball knowledge. Let's get right into it. Our topic today is our top five storylines in the NBA, part three. So this episode, we're going to talk about some of the biggest storylines right now in the NBA, ranging from all-Star Starter announcements. We're going to talk about the Brooklyn Nets, the Los Angeles Lakers. We're going to talk about the trade deadline a little bit. Let's get right into this because we have a guest here on the podcast today. This is his second time appearing on the podcast. So please welcome back to the pod, Thomas Christian.
1: Hey, thank you so much for having me.
0: So Thomas, what have you been up to? Because I know it's been a while since we talked last.
1: Uh, Yeah, so last time we talked, I was with Goated NBA News. Uh, then we moved on to Hoops United Media and I did that with uh, another small creator called BS Scouting. And then we all kind of got offer positions at bellyupsports.com. Where, so we're now writing uh, for the NBA section of that. Also, I'm doing a broadcast for uh, NTD TV's California Today news segment. So I do a sports segment every day on air. Uh, go check it out because I know we get like 30 viewers a night. So please boost that. And uh Let's see. I also have a podcast and that is the Goaded Podcast Live. It's brought to you by Warzone Sports Network. Uh, so go check that out as well.
0: We will definitely drop those links in the description below when the episode drops, Jalen. We have a lot of interesting storylines to get to, and I'm I'm very interested to get your perspective on some of these storylines. So let's let's get right into it.
2: Yeah, man, so me and Ryan had a lot of fun coming up with this listing. Top five storylines in the NBA is one of our more favorable topics just because it gives us a chance to really zero in on the things in mainstream media that we don't touch on on a week-to-week basis because they get to handle that for us, right? So one of the things that caught our eye, that caught basketball fans across the world's eyes. Yeah, I'm looking at you, Canada. We're going to talk about that in a second. Andrew Wiggins was named as an NBA All-Star starter for the Western Conference. Now, this took over social media for a smooth 24 to 48 hours, and it's only going to get more interesting after we see who the All-Star reserves are on Thursday the 3rd. It's coming out. We're we're doing this on the 2nd. Thursday the 3rd is when the list is coming out. Thomas, I'm going to start with you, bro. We talked about this a little bit off, pod, but I kind of want you to get a little bit deeper into it now. What were your initial thoughts when you saw Andrew Wiggins listed as an all-star starter? And what are your takeaways from, let's just start in the West. What were your takeaways from the all-star starter listing in the West in general?
1: Yeah. I mean, uh, I don't think there's a way to like justify having, (laughs) Andrew Wiggins as an all-star starter, or even as an all-star. Like, I think that a lot of people had him as maybe, maybe if you're going to vote for Andrew Wiggins, you'll put him at the very bottom of your ballot, Mm -hmm. right? So then making him all the way into a starter, I think a lot of uh, different forces in the universe aligned in order to make this sort of happen. And then you think about, like, he has the intersection of the Warriors vote, the Canadian vote, and apparently the K-pop vote. Uh, because he got shouted out by some twitter uh k-pop star i i mean i guess that's what it takes to get into the all-star voting in 2022 do i think david stern commissioner david stern would have allowed that to happen no but we are here and he is a starter and that's just i don't know if he's gonna play because it just sounded sounded like he uh was injured just a few moments ago but it, we're this is the reality we're living in right
2: yeah. So, Ryan, I'm going to I'm going to go to you for a sec because I want we talked about this, like basically after it happened, like we were in the group chat. We pretty much reacted to this as soon as it happened. But for those who obviously are not included in the group chat, what were your initial thoughts in terms of this whole thing and your thoughts on the Western Conference starters in general? The reason why I keep focusing on the Western Conference is specifically because I feel like that that grouping was probably the more difficult group to pick from. Right, If you look over in the East, it felt kind of like a no-brainer across the board. I think the only one, especially as a Bulls fan, you could argue against is maybe Trey Young. Um, I had Zach Levine, again, Bulls fan, going to kind of throw that out as being a little pseudo-bias. But I could also see why Trey Young um, got the starting nod. But DeMar DeRozan, with the season he's had and the storylines following him, Joel Embiid, Giannis, Kevin Durant, seemed like a no-brainer. On the West side, I mean, yes— LeBron, yes, Steph, yes, Nicola. Like, I understand it. Even Jaws. as well. Like, I understand it. But it, it seemed like the battle in the West was at least a little bit more up for grabs, clearly, considering Andrew Wiggins got a starting spot. So, like, what are your thoughts? What is your, what is your thoughts on the uh, the West and Andrew Wiggins?
0: This has to be maybe the biggest all-star starting surprise ever. I think I think this is maybe the biggest all-star surprise, all star starting surprise ever. The big thing with Andrew Wiggins is this. He is a solid contributor on a championship caliber team. And he's been able to play some of his best basketball with the Golden State Warriors. I think the other reason he he may have gotten the starting nod is because of the injuries, too. Because I think you have to factor in Kawhi Leonard. If he was healthy, he would probably be starting. Paul George, if he was healthy, he would probably be starting. Anthony Davis, if he was healthy, for sure, he would have been starting. So I think you could take that into account as well. If we talk about other guys who might have deserved it, Rudy Gobert, you could make an argument that he deserves an all-star starting nod. Carl Anthony Towns has really shown out this year for the Timberwolves. I think he could have definitely taken that spot. In a world of positionless basketball, we probably put Donovan Mitchell or Devin Booker or Luka Doncic in that starting role too. So I think there's a lot of different like scenarios that could have happened if Andrew Wiggins didn't get the starting spot. I'm not sure statistically if he matches up with the four starters. Steph Curry has been balling out this year. John Moran is putting up MVP level numbers. LeBron is doing things at age 37 that nobody expected him to do. And Nikola Jokic is basically an MVP candidate, once again. Putting up better numbers than his actual MVP season last year. I'm not sure if Andrew Wiggins statistically matches up with that. Now, I think, if anything, you could make an argument that Andrew Wiggins should have been an all-star in 2018 when the Timberwolves were really good. I think that there was a chance that he could have been an all-star then. But I just... There's a part of me that kind of just doesn't understand the all-star number, the all-star nod this year.
2: I mean, that's, so that last point is where I kind of want to pick up because of the fact that that's an interesting notion to, like an interesting point to make because of the fact that there's a lot of people out here that think that like best player, best team equals all-star. And that does happen a lot often where like Phoenix, for example, like is expected. Now, granted, I believe that Chris Paul and Devin Booker are both all-stars, but they are like expected, like just based on record alone, have at least two if not three guys go to the all-star team and it's kind of like that weird like team achievement equals individual achievement award and that's kind of where it seems like things are with Andrew Wiggins because I want to put things in perspective like 18.3 points per game 4.3 rebounds 2.1 assists 18.3 points per game is his lowest since that 2018-2019 season that you were that you were mentioning beforehand that last season with Minnesota before the trade. 4.3 rebounds a game is the lowest since 2016, 2017. That's his third year in the league. The only thing that I can see that he's done in terms of significant improvement is shooting 41% from three. And let's go through the list of guys who are the prototypical three and D wing, right? Has Otto Porter ever made an all-star team? Has Danny Green ever made an all-star team, right? That the, the, the has, has Robert Covington ever made an all-star team, right? Now, I understand that Andrew Wiggins is averaging more points than them, but he's not doing anything special because he's not doing anything different from what he normally does, right? So, Thomas, I actually want to kind of get your perspective, especially because of being within that area. You're a lot more closer to the nod when it comes to the idea of yep. Golden State as a team, but also within the framework of this being at the top of the league nod nah, thing. What are your thoughts on that? Like people that think that maybe Andrew Wiggins got it simply off of the fact that he's on one of the best teams in the West as arguably the second play, second best player. on
1: Yeah, I mean, well, so from a Warriors perspective, I think obviously Warriors fans are going to be excited that, that Andrew Wiggins mm-hmm. has started, right? Uh I was out interviewing Warriors fans on Friday. That was just the general like because we're fans and you know obviously you want to see our guy start. He's this he's the starter on the all-star team while probably being the fourth best player on his own team, right? Because you've got Steph, Klay Thompson, who's probably gonna miss the all-star game, and Draymond Green, who's definitely gonna be an all-star as well. So that's three star all-stars from the Warriors. You've got two starting. Meanwhile, the You know, far and away top of the league, Phoenix Suns have zero All-Star starters and may not even have the three All-Stars that uh, the Warriors are going to have. And, I mean, quite frankly, I think that one of the bigger snubs besides, obviously, Andrew Wiggins was Chris Paul not being named a starter. He is, uh, you want to talk about John Morant putting up MVP-like numbers I mean, both basketball reference in terms of their statistic tracker and in the Vegas odds, Chris Paul is higher than John ja- ja Morant on the MVP scale of the league. Uh, then, of course, you want to get into Devin Booker, who had, I think, like 36 points last night. DeAndre Ayton and Mikhail Bridges all have all-star cases before you uh, bring up the Andrew Wiggins case. So I, I it's a little bit egregious. As a Warriors fan, I have to be okay with it because – I mean, obviously, I want to see Steph Cur- or Andrew Wiggins, uh, you know, perform. But then you also get into the fact where it's like, okay, so if Andrew Wiggins is the fourth best player and he's putting up numbers, you know, how much of these numbers is Andrew Wiggins' talent and Andrew Wiggins carrying this team to new heights? And how much of this is Andrew Wiggins being the fourth wheel or the fourth cog and benefiting from being around Klay Thompson, Steph Curry, and Draymond Green?
2: Yeah, I mean, that's the easiest way to put it. I mean, for me... The way that I look at it when it comes to the all-star voting, and this is actually where we'll segue, and Thomas, this is how I'm going to come back to you in this way, and then Ryan, I'm going to get your thoughts on this as well, because this is where the conversation really starts. You mentioned it earlier, Thomas. That's why I'm coming to you first. You talked about Stern and his philosophy, I guess our assumed philosophy of how he would go about this same circumstance. Looking at that voting, could you allow and Andrew Wiggins to truly be named the all-star starter. What do you think? I feel like the easiest thing everybody says is to eliminate fan voting. And I feel like that's an easy route to go. But do you think that that is the most viable way to get the correct players in the correct position to either be a part of the all-star game as a starter, as a reserve, or at least be in the conversation as uh, as an injury replacement? Or do you think there's something that can still involve fan voting that doesn't have to take, that doesn't have to give them as much power as they already have?
1: Well, I actually think um, that the fans should have 50% of the vote. Uh, okay. The all-star uh, sort of selections, they're not super incentivized in terms of player contracts, right? You don't look at all-star selections as much as you look at all the NBA teams at the end of a season. So, I think having the All Star game be more of a fan experience and then the All NBA uh, teams being more of like, this is actually the ranking of the players uh, is actually pretty fair. Uh, of course, like, you know, you don't want Andrew Wiggins to be on the All Star team. That's kind of where I think a David Stern should step in, or I guess Adam Silver right now should have stepped in and just said, hey, no, he's e not going to be the starter. I don't think that there is. Because I don't think that the All Star game really means much more than just a fan experience, or obviously you say things at the end of careers like, you know, two time All Star, five time All Star, but you also say two time All NBA, three time All NBA, things like that. So it doesn't really make too big of a difference. And if you have a commissioner stepping in when clearly a player doesn't really match up to the All Star caliber that you want, then it, I think it's completely okay to just say, you know, we're going to manipulate it this time because we want certain players and in the interest of fans uh, it's, it's better. I think another thing that we should be worried about is uh, positions. I think because Western conference front court player, we had to have somebody fill that spot that wasn't named LeBron James, right? The default guy is, As soon as you start coming down the list, the default guy actually ends up being Andrew Riggins quite easily, right? I, I actually have a list and I know that Ryan Uh, talked about it earlier, you've got Kawhi Leonard injured, Anthony Davis injured, Paul George injured, uh, Zion Williamson injured, Carl Anthony Towns, not a a forward, Uh, Luka Doncic, technically a point guard, Uh, Kristaps Porzingis, uh, only 33 games, Brandon Ingram, no Zion, so you can't really do that, Jaron Jackson Jr., maybe Desmond Bain, maybe Michael Bridges, but then, you know, Andrew Wiggins, he looks like a pretty attractive option when you put him next to Basically Brandon Ingram, Michael Bridges, and Jaron Jackson Jr. and maybe Desmond Bain. So I think that when you have these are the options because we need a Western Conference front court player, the solution then becomes okay, well, we shouldn't need a Western Conference frontcourt player. We should just need a basketball player who could totally play the position or who could totally hang in the starting five. Also, like if you just put like Giannis or sorry not Giannis because he's not Western Conference you put Jokic a power forward you put Karl-Anthony Towns a power forward or Rudy Gobert at center something like that the, there's so much playmaking at the top of the NBA nowadays that you don't really need to worry about a guy setting the table in like a traditional sense because you've got guys at different positions who can just do that LeBron James could be voted in at a Uh, he voted, got voted in at the front court position, but he could have been voted in at the point guard. He could have been voted in at the center. It doesn't really matter. Like he plays every position and he like basically is good at every single skill on the basketball court. Uh, Mm. so there, there there's certain things that you should like, I don't, I don't think that you should eliminate, uh, fan voting because, or, or reduce it because it is a fan experience, but just change the way that we're allowed to vote because, you know, on that online ballot, uh, you have to p- select two Western Conference front court players.
2: and So then it becomes
1: pretty tempting to put a guy like Andrew Wiggins into that conversation.
2: So I just want to ask you a quick question just based off that. And it's the idea of if we're going to keep the fan experience in mind, the real question that we then have to ask ourselves is, are we allowed to continue using all-star status as a contract incentive? Because that's something within the contract structure structure that can help guys with bonuses and different things like that towards the end of the season. That does dictate how much guaranteed money a guy gets. So as much as I would agree that it's a fan experience, it is something that people, it is something that front offices are incorporating as leverage for themselves, of course, but also as a a bit of a boon in favor of the player to kind of play better and seek this opportunity. Is that something that we would have to pull away from? in order to make this truly right, truly a fan experience. Because I think while including that, there still has to be a certain level of seriousness applied to it. But like, what do you think? About no. That?
1: Yeah, that's, that's perfectly valid. I would say that I think the, uh, economic side of the NBA, right. The market would decide, uh, if you want, a 24-slot chance at getting a contract incentive, then maybe your agent, if you're a player, would push to put All-Star instead of All-NBA, right? But if you're a front office and you don't want to pay those incentives, you would push for the 15 slots of the All-NBA team for second, third, or maybe you'd say, oh, we'll actually do you one better and you can make an All-NBA or an All-Defensive team. So that's 25 slots that you could possibly get up to uh but i I don't think that there is any one solution i think that that sort of contract incentive conversation should be decided by those who are having the contract negotiations and i don't think you should worry about uh those sorts of incentives in the all-star break when when really like that only affects a handful of players in the league i don't even think andrew wiggins would be one of those players affected by making the all-star team and all already you know, we do have incentives that are relying on the all-star team, but a lot of incentives also rely on the all-NBA team. So front offices already have been having these sorts of conversations. So I don't think it. I don't think that uh, I, I guess I don't think we should be the ones making the decisions.
2: That's a, I think that's a fair point, Ryan. I kind of wanted you to, like, take everything that we've talked about so far and like give your thoughts on the, the all-star structure in general, because. I do agree with Thomas in the sense that, like, at the end of the day, All-Star Weekend is almost like this carnival-esque event for NBA fans. So I do understand the aspect of wanting to involve fans in the process as much as humanly possible. But, of course, there is that contract aspect of it that does make things a bit tricky. There is also the aspect of legacy, right? There is a legacy aspect to it where – Thomas mentioned it earlier like the idea that there are guys who get read up as 11-time all-star and 6-time all-star or multiple time this or multiple time that when it comes to when it comes time to discuss things like the Hall of Fame, right? And so over the course of the last 75-76 years of us doing us having the NBA, these are the kind of things that have developed over time that have become somewhat more important over the years when looking back on guys' legacies. So, like, what are your thoughts on all of this, considering that it's such a tricky process?
0: I don't think we should eliminate fan voting entirely because of the fact that I feel like if we do, the same issues could come up if we let the league decide, let the players and the and the owners and the executives decide. I feel like we could possibly have the same issues there. So, you, know, you talk about legacy-based and like when you talk about Hall of Fame, guys who are five-time, six-time, seven-time, eight-time All-Stars have a greater likelihood of getting into the Hall of Fame than guys who have never made an All-Star team before. right? I think I'll go ahead and say LeBron just as a, a go-to example. LeBron has 18 All-Star selections. One of the greatest players in the league ever certifiable Hall of Famer. So I do think that the production on the court does have something to do with the legacy too, because like if you get one all-star selection, you're not going to be considered as much as, you know, five times, six times, seven times, eight times, all-stars.
2: I think in a weird way, like the other thing too, is like there was that weird conversation about Mike Conley last year, where that was, there was that developing, a uh, snowball of like people getting on the Mike Conley is the best player to not get in the all-star game train. If you guys remember how like that was getting, that was actually getting kind of ridiculous. Then we got voted in, I guess, as a injury reserve. That's when things got like kind of jerky and everybody was like, eh, well, I don't know from a legacy standpoint. So I think one could actually make an argument that never winning, never getting an all-star selection and being that good is almost as intriguing when you come when it talks about legacy than it is to win to get one and then be thrown in that conversation with all the five and six time plus guys like you were mentioning before. But let's let's take the let's take the lebron point and let's make that uh our way to transition into the next topic because like Ryan said at the top of the pod, there's no way you can have a top five storylines in one way or another without sneaking the Lakers in in some shape or form, right? Kind of Kind of the talk of the town these days. LeBron James is currently down um, due to knee soreness, I believe, is the injury. And AD and Russ recently got, you know, minimally banged up. They are not out or anything like that, especially not to the extent that LeBron James is. Um, But there are a lot of things going on with the Lakers that I think a lot of people saw coming. There are a lot of things that are going on with the Lakers that a lot of people could not have fathomed. So... Ryan, I'm going to start with you on this one. Where are you on the current state of the Lakers? And if you could name one thing viably, of course, right, because I think there's a lot of things the Lakers would love to do. But if there's one thing that the Lakers could do that you would suggest to them to do to help quickly turn things around, what would that thing be?
0: So the current state of the Lakers, this is the team that before the season I said, they're a playing team. They finish anywhere between 7 and 10 with the roster they have currently constructed. They are who I thought they were. They're a playing team right now. They're three games below 500. The team looks like a mess right now. LeBron's injured. Anthony Davis has been on and off the court with injuries. Westbrook being on the team has been a terrible fit, like most of us predicted. And then the supporting cash just hasn't been there. Just hasn't. They have no trade capital. They have Kendrick Nunn, who hasn't played a game this year for the Lakers. Taylor Horton Tucker, who they signed to a big contract, but is not playing up to the contract. And basically a first-round pick that won't be used until 2027. So this team is doomed. I'm just going to go ahead and say it. You, you can't do anything. You can't do anything at the deadline. The only way you can improve is grabbing players from the G League, which has actually turned out to be a pretty viable option. Stanley Johnson is arguably their second best player right now. They can pull a lot of guys from the South Bay Lakers team. We did a G League episode before this, and we were talking about some of the top players in the G League overall. There's a talent pool of G League guys that they can have. If there's one thing that I suggest that they do, because they don't have any trade capital, look at the G League.
2: Trust me. So so let me just make sure I preface Ryan's comments because he's a lot harder on the Lakers than I am. So I do have to preface his comments by saying the buyout market is obviously a thing as well. That's something that they can they can tap into. It gets a little tricky, um, considering their cap strap situation, but it's not the craziest thing in the world with the fact that the Lakers are the Lakers and the buyout market is something that is going to be attracted to a lot of guys who are looking to try to go for a chip. So obviously, obviously they do have a debt route as well. It just will be determined by the kind of guys that are, you know, available. So Thomas, same question to you. Like what are your thoughts on the Lakers so far this season? As Ryan mentioned beforehand, 24 and 27, ninth in the West, just barely underneath the LA Clippers who are, I would argue just as injured um what are your thoughts on them so far this season if there was one thing you could give them in terms of a form of advice to turn this season around going into the second half what would? It be?
1: well one thing really quick I don't think that they could get a buyout guy uh the 24 and 27 you said that they you'd want to get a buyout guy who could want to go and win a championship right mm. I don't know if I'm a buyout candidate I'm looking at the Lakers. I don't know if I'm thinking, hey, I can win a championship with these guys. They're 24 and 27. They're making they're in the play, and they're not, they're not getting past the second round right now. Uh the, the Lakers situation is that they've got this crapola trade offer that they've been throwing at every single team of Taylor Horton Tucker, an injured Kendrick Nunn, and a 2027 first. So that's $15 million in cap space and a 2027 first. I will say I think that 2027 first might actually turn out to be a pretty good asset because the state of the Lakers right now, they might be tanking at, in 2027. They might want to hold on to that first-round pick. But in terms of $15 million, so if you can even convince another team that their $15 million player is better than Taylor Horton-Tucker and Kendrick Nunn, which I don't know if you really can, $15 million – that gets you, I've got it up in front of me. Lauren marketing is making 15.6, Derek White's making 15.6, Duncan Robinson, Marcus Morris, Will Barton, Norman Powell, DeJunte Murray, but obviously that's an outlier for the $15 million range. There's not a lot of great sauce, right? There's not a lot of there what piece that is $15 million is actually going to get you uh, anywhere in terms of playoff race. It's just one more like dude. Uh, there's nothing there's nothing they can do for this uh this situation they're going to have to trade uh a lot of assets if they want to offload russell wilson or sorry russell westbrook because they want to uh like they're going to have to put a lot in that package to in order to get any team to bite even if that's possible there's just not a lot they can do they're really just kind of stuck
0: i mean the only way that they get of Russell Westbrook's contract is if they trade him for John Wall, and John Wall basically has an a a similar contract, but like, what's the likelihood? John Wall hasn't played a game in like this entire season, and I don't know what his plans are in Houston right now. Is he sitting out? Is he ever going to play? Maybe Jalen, you could pro- you can kind of give a perspective on this as well because I'm not 100 percent sure what. The plans in Houston are for John Wall, but the only way they get rid of Russell Westbrook is that some team gets that contract, and I don't think anyone's going to want to deal with that contract. And also, are the Lakers even going to buy it out? And, le- and like Thomas mentioned, like the buyout market is bad for the Lakers, so no one's going to buy out Russell Westbrook's contract.
2: Yeah, I mean, just to kind of put it in perspective, I mean, first of all, we can't play the sloppy seconds game with Russell Westbrook and John Wall too many times. Like, there's they're going to come a point where that expiration date is coming soon. And I think, honestly, we've already reached it. Um, sending Russ back to Houston in exchange for John Wall, who I honestly believe is a... I literally believe John Wall is the exact same player as Russell Westbrook, except Russell Westbrook is, like, pseudo-healthier. And even that's kind of a stretch just because they both play such a, like, a violent form of basketball, and they're both not really strong three-point shooters, which is exactly what LeBron James needs around him, exactly what Anthony Davis would prefer around him, not two guys who need to be around the basket, not two guys who need to dribble the air out of the ball in order to create for themselves and to create for others. You're getting the same player for the same money and you have the healthier version. So, like, I don't see exactly what that exchange is for. And if if they traded, if they traded for what Russell Westbrook, what they gave away, you have to think about it. They chose, Chaelin, they essentially chose Taylor Horton Tucker over um, my guy, Alex Caruso. They traded... Um, Pretty much the farm over to Washington, and then the result would be trying to scrap up pennies to then buy out Russell Westbrook to see how they could continue without that. That is an insane trade flop to the point that I don't think they've even considered it, and I hope they don't, because that would be be pretty preposterous, I'm going to be honest. I don't know anybody that would be that crazy to make such a play. So I think it's going to be interesting to just see what the Lakers do out of the mere fact that usually when LeBron... Led teams get to the trade deadline. This is where the shakeup comes. That's where everything under the sun that you thought was unfathomable somehow comes together. The only difference is that this team does not have nearly the kind of assets that Cleveland once upon a time did, for example, right? So now the question is, what can you do with your said circumstances? I really don't know. I think Thomas made a really great point about the buyout market in terms of how attractive they are, too, because right now you're now they almost look like you're, you would be picking them strictly for location, not f- for competition. And that's an interesting feat, too, right, because we're not used to that being the case for LeBron James led teams either. So I really think that the Lakers are in a really interesting situation and I really think that they're going to be intriguing to watch because of the fact that even with all the doubt, I still feel like they're going to find a way to make a move. And that's so like, that's that's its own weird concept by itself, too.
1: So, Well, I don't know if, if you've been paying attention to these little moves on the margins, uh, because I had a whole rant on this, I think, two weeks ago where I was like, watch for these little moves. These like people will get these like little two year contracts and then they'll be traded away into the ether real quick uh one of those moves is for the lakers right stanley johnson just got a two-year contract for one mil and two mil watch for that to just be tacked on to get a little extra something the only other player that they have under contract for the next two years is austin reeves who also makes a million dollars in both years so watch for austin reeves and stanley johnson to be added to the 15 million uh i mean it's a garbage fire right Or dumpster fire in terms of An actual trade package but that's 17 million contracts what can you get with 17 mil just watch for these little moves they might try and promote a g-league player and give him a two mil contract right away in order to make some sort of a move on the margin in order to clear the books we'll see how that happens it's gonna be exciting i think
2: yeah so i mean i think the lakers the, the lakers are a weird team because everybody talks about them but the truth of the matter is like right now this season this is probably the lowest we've seen them since before lebron james got there and that's a tricky feat considering the fact that, like, look, guys, I hate to bring this up. I know we're a basketball podcast, but, like, Tom Brady just retired. I think anything can happen at this point. You know what I mean? In terms of, like, the realism of how longevity works, there's plenty of guys out there that are trying to make a long-term legacy for themselves, but there comes a point where you realize that between age, durability, um, the roster around you, and the circumstances ahead of you, whether or not you're actually in a position to go after championships, and right now, the Lakers in this season and moving forward are not really set up to make any kind of major moves that are going to make them significant players in the in the Western Conference. And the only reason, I'm going to tell you the truth, I think the only reason why they're even ninth is because the Trailblazers don't know who they are. Zion's not playing for the Pelicans. The Spurs, I think, are a lot better than their record shows because they're the, a tough team to face on any given night. The Thunder and Rockets are... We know what we know what they're doing. You know what I mean. At the end of the day, and then it's the Kings, which you know I don't have to. You know I don't have to get like disrespectful about the Kings because they do it for themselves. They're they're very confused about their pathway as well. So they're only ahead of teams that are at a crossroads. I would actually say they're one of the teams in the crossroads, and that's half the reason they're in their circumstances. So I don't know, man. The Lakers are a really interesting squad, but let's talk about another team at a crossroads, and let's go to the Eastern Conference real quick. And talk about the Washington Wizards. So I'm going to read the quote that came out the other day, because this is what sparked this whole conversation, was on January 31st, only a couple of days ago, it came out via Kevin O'Connor that essentially the Wizards aren't feeling Dinwiddie anymore, and I'm kind of intrigued by that circumstance. I'm going to read out some of the stuff. It says that the Ringers' Kevin O'Connor reported the Wizards want to move Dinwiddie because he looks like a shell of his former self and his teammates don't want him there. That was a specific quote. This is a guy that got signed for three years, uh, $54 million over the summer. And his play with Bradley Beal hasn't been great. Um... He hasn't really played like a lead guard the way I think they needed him to in order for them to be a legit force in the East. They caught the whole league by storm in the first 15 or so games, You know, started as the number one team in the Eastern Conference and since since then have significantly plummeted. Now, things have only seemed to get worse since then in terms of some of the news around the Wizards because it was also reported today that Bradley Beal might not necessarily be against the idea of being traded before the trade deadline. The specific quote, it comes from uh, David Aldridge from The Athletic and uh, Josh Robbins. It says, Beal is, re- is con- conflicted about whether or not he wants to stay with the Wizards. It continues on to say his desires to stay for his entire career with the franchise that took him third overall in 2012 remains genuine. But Beal also remains uncertain about whether the Wizards can surround him with difference-making talent that will make them a regular playoff team. All right. So we have to address the elephant in the room. We tried doing this many a times. Thomas, you are our first um, pseudo objective person we've had on for this topic. We've had uh, our friend Ian on, and he's a very—he's uh, on the other end of the spectrum. He's been trying to sell Bradley Beal since the beginning. Um, I sure. can't trust him. I can't trust him. Shout out Ian, but I can't trust you on this on this front. So I'm going to talk to Thomas. First of all, thoughts on the Wizards this season. Second of all, do you think it is time? Do you think it is time, as Ryan would say, to pull out the bomb and blow it up? Well, I think it's time. I think it's
1: been time for about two years. I mean, Bradley Beal should have been traded. He shouldn't be on this team. You know. Just think about sort of the return you can get for a guy like Bradley Beal, what that can do for your franchise, which is the Washington Witchers, which has been historically, you know, you don't have any history in Washington. You don't have any history really at all. So if you just trade Bradley Beal for like, what, three first round picks? Imagine the kind of prize you would get for that. And then you use that to kickstart a rebuild. Why would that not be extremely beneficial for your franchise? I mean, and, and then you go into all of the different teams that would want him, that are really kind of desperate. You could totally start like a bidding war before the uh, the the uh, trade deadline's over, and get get something really nice for him. Maybe pinch a few more second round picks out of it, out of Philly or out of uh, the Blazers or the whatever other team you got uh, at the top of that trade trade talk. And then you could also acquire a lot of. Uh, contract filler because you might not have to worry about winning basketball games for the next two years while you're rebuilding uh, things on the contract sides. So I don't think it's, I don't think it's bad to trade talk about trading Bradley Beal. I don't think it's bad to trade Bradley Beal in general. You know, you, you should have done this a while ago, but now that you are, he's probably hurt his trade value a little bit. Uh, now that he's playing, he's playing a lot worse. He might not even make an all-star game uh, this year. We'll have to see how that goes, and we're going to find out tomorrow. But his trade value was hurt. He would probably peaked last year, and you gotta, you got to get out from under your assets at the right time. They didn't. Now they should cut their losses and still get a good return for their asset, Bradley Beal.
2: Yeah, so, Ryan, we tried this a couple times. I've mentioned this before at the top of the topic. We've tried this conversation a few times, and it's been a toughie because, being in the local area is one of those things where you talk about what we have left over, right? John Wall has already been the first domino to fall. And we, of course, tried the Russell Westbrook experiment and didn't last long. And now this is the idea that um the old Bill Belichick phrase is to cut him or is to cut them or move on from them a year too early rather than a year too late, right? And it seems as though we fall into the year too late time frame, uh, especially according to what Thomas was talking about. Um, he actually thinks we were even even later than that, according to uh, how soon we probably should have started, which I can't as much as it hurts my heart. It's, it, it is hard to argue against. So what what are your thoughts? What are your revised thoughts, especially considering, you know, we're a year removed. um, Actually, a year to the day of recording this removed from the last time we really strongly had this conversation and. We've seen two different versions of the Wizards this season with the personnel they have, the version of them that kicked out the season very strong in the first 15 to 20 games, and the version of the Wizards that we see now that is at the bottom of the Eastern Conference team.
0: So if you're looking at the Wizards from earlier in the season, you could make the case that this team was going to finish top four in the East. And we, I jokingly said to Jalen, take a picture of the standings because all three of his teams would make the playoffs at the season that ended today with the Wizards being the best team in the Eastern Conference. Things have changed and they have changed big time. So now Washington doesn't want, basically doesn't want Spencer doing there. Bradley Beal has now come out, come out and said that he doesn't know what his future is like in Washington. We all know what the team is doing right now because they're 12th in the Eastern conference. So if you're an OG, if you're a, if you're an OG hoop talk podcast fan, you probably know what I'm about to say next. Blow it up. It's time. It's over. Last year was evident. It's over because you, I think the big thing that you have to look at now, what are you going to get for Bradley Beal? Because the other thing too he has an option to pick up this summer. I don't know if he's going to pick it up. Which now gives you a reason to trade him. So, I think if anything, you have to just get what you can for Bradley Beal. And and Thomas said this earlier, a lot of teams could definitely use Bradley Beal. Spencer Dinwiddie. I'm not sure what the trade market's going to look like for him. Because he started off the season really strong. Struggled recently, especially shooting from the field. Shooting from three, he's been... He he's not been that great shooting from three. Defensively, he's gotten defensively, he had just hasn't been that good. You could honestly say that Montres Harrell is a trade asset because he's been pretty solid for the Wizards to this point in the season. So right there, you have three players that you can trade. So I think if anything, this this is the time now to just blow it up. It's also because you have a first-year head coach, too. And I think it makes it a lot easier because you can go into next year with Wes Unseld at the helm in his second year with a lot of young players that they can build this franchise around. I think Kyle Kuzma is somebody they can seriously build the franchise around. So I think that's going to be really interesting.
2: So, Thomas, I want to build off of that by talking about Spencer Dinwiddie. And obviously, you know, the Bradley Beal thing is important. Ryan mentioned it earlier, one more year on his contract, $36 million owed to him, and it's a player option, which is its own thing in terms of factoring whether or not this this is the time to do it because it's essentially make or break to a certain extent because if he declines the player option, now you're getting into a little bit of a, an awkward bidding where you really don't have the chance to win. Um, But Spencer Dinwiddie is another intriguing one because they traded for him this offseason with the expectation of trying to address Bradley's needs, which is putting legitimate talent around him to be a playoff team. So based on how you feel about this team and how you feel about the players they currently have, when you say rebuild, if you had to give them a two- to three-step process in terms of how to handle that, and you can include potential scenarios of trades that you have in mind as well, players you think that they should look at in the trade market, what would that look like for you? Like, I know we're trying to rebuild a lot of teams on the fly, but they they only got eight days, you know, so we don't throw out as much help as we can.
1: Well, let's see. So I think for one, the Spencer Dinwiddie trade market might be a little barren just because he plays point guard. And it like the, a lot of teams have a lot of good point guards and paying 17 mil for a point guard that's been underperforming. And you're going to have him under contract until 2024. When So you're basically betting that he is going to be worth $17 million that entire time. I don't know. I don't know if I'm going to do that. Especially, you know, he's a former second-round pick, so there's a little bit of a different uh, athletic profile, athletic pedigree in in that way. And his game is a little bit less than traditional. He doesn't exactly shoot the three ball, and you want to see more out of him on the defensive end than he has shown this season in order to have value to a team. So if you're a contender, I think you immediately shrink away from Spencer Dinwiddie, and then you get into all of these other, you know, mid tier teams that pretty much all have point guards right now. If you just want to look at the standings, I mean, yeah, I can't even name a team besides like a tanking team that, that doesn't have a point guard. And even some of the tanking teams like the Kings or the Thunder, they have guards, right? That's just, this is how it works. Uh, Guards are very easy to come by. So to pay a guard 17 mil and then, you know, need to get him traded away. I don't know if there's much of a, for a market for that in terms of like a, Rebuild process Spencer Dinwiddie is not their only like contract that is questionable, right? You've got Devis Pertons making 16 mil, you've got Cantavius Cowell Pope. It's a tradable contract, right? 13 mil is a tradable contract, but it's not something that you really want to spend big money on. And then you go into all of your rookies or your young players, uh, Rui Hachimura, Denny Avdiha, Corey Kisper. I have no idea what those three players are. I have no idea what they're going to be in the next five years. I don't even know if they're going to be in the NBA in the next five years because they just don't – we have not seen enough out of them that makes me think at least that I'm confident in investing in them and investing in their future. And then you go down the rest of the roster and it's a bunch of no-names, right? So your only like really core asset that is not an asset you want to build around necessarily but an an asset that you could look at in terms of maybe this could be – pieces of a foundation and on on my end would be Kyle Kuzma uh, because you have him under the contract for the next three years and then maybe Montrez Harrell but you've only got him on a one-year contract so I don't really know what you're doing with that the problem with the Wizards in, in general has been just their entire overall team construction is so random uh, they got like a defensive center they've got a center who can shoot and they've got a center who can play offense and they've got like you know, two guards that you want playing defense, and then two guards that you want playing offense. And you've also got Spencer Dimity and Bradley Beal who can't play together. It, it's just like, it's it's probably hell for their head coach, quite frankly. But it's just, you. what do you do from this team? It's not a cohesive unit at all. And so maybe just, you know, taking a step forward and stabilizing uh, sort of uh, the roster is really the first step you want to take. And then from there, we'll just see who's left on the team after that.
2: Yeah, Ryan, do you have any further thoughts in terms of like what they should do in terms of like just going about the revamp? I know the bl- saying "blow them up" is a very easy route to go, but in terms of maybe their steps towards doing that, what are some things you think they should look at in the uh, the trade market? Obviously, Demarcus Sabonis' name has been brought up and other things along that line. But like, what do you think is viable? Who do you think they should actually care for trying to attack in terms of this trade deadline and trying to, I guess? rebuild is what we're all focused on right now
0: you have to pick three guys who you want to build around I actually want to swing this question to you Jalen because personally I think Kyle Kuzma is a guy that I think they should build around Denny Avdia absolutely they should build around him I'm having some trouble deciding who the third guy could be I think it could be Daniel Gafford Thomas Bryan could be him if when he's healthy but like, I'll, I'll swing this question to both of you guys. Who are three players that you would want the Wizards to build around? And uh, Thomas, I'll start with you first.
1: Yeah, well, Kyle Kuzma, you bring up a good point uh, in terms of Kyle Kuzma. And I think, yeah, I definitely did uh, overlook the Daniel Gafford. I forgot that he was until 2026, at least, it looks like, under contract. Uh, in terms of a third player... You know, I think that the one advantage that the Wizards do have is that they are the closest to all of their young talent so they can evaluate them the best. And then it comes down to, okay, how strong is your evaluation process? What do you value in your team going forward? I think one of Roy, Angie, Murray, Denny Abdiha would be good. Uh, But I don't really see either of them having super high ceilings. So then it's like, what's that... What's that core piece that it is, You know, I think if you were to ask this question two years ago, that core piece would be Bradley Beal, right? But they haven't been able to build around him at all uh, so far. So, I mean, that's why it's so easy to say blow it up. Just blow it up, cut your losses, get some building blocks for the next five years and see what you can build in that
2: time. Jalen? I mean... Yeah, I mean, okay, okay. So the way I view it, because I think that's, a, I think that's an important question, Ryan, and you really stumped me with that one because I think that's important to the point that with eight days again, I have to keep harping on this. With eight days from the day we're recording this, that's something they need to identify if they're going to pull such a trigger. I think Denny is important because of the fact that I think in a maximized role, they tried so hard to turn him into like a a three point shooting wing when literally coming out of the draft, that was his most notable weakness. His most notable weakness was being a three-point shooter, handling the ball, being a pace and space player, being somebody who could facilitate. The defense has come along, something I think they probably didn't anticipate to happen as quickly as it did. I think that is a really high upside for them is that he's actually developed on that side of the floor and takes pride on the defensive end too, right? Every Wizard fan knows that when Denny throws the X up, that means he's in his zone, essentially. And I think that's important that he's developed that, but trying to force him into a role that he does not fit comfortably. I think that has been probably one of the biggest struggles for him developmental wise. If they go into a rebuild, they might be able to find that, that talent in him that honestly wasn't so hidden. It's just been based off personnel. He hasn't been able to express. Um, I agree with Daniel Gafford too. I have also watched Daniel Gafford kick Nikola Vucevic's tail live and in person. So I have the understanding that this is a guy who I think is an interesting front-court player on both sides of the floor. He's not somebody that's going to give you 20 and 10, but he's a high-energy guy, and that's the kind of thing that when you start from the ground up, if I'm Wes Unsell Jr., you want guys that are committed to the defensive end. there's any way to build a basketball team from the ground up, you would do it on the side of the ball that you can control the most. And defense is high-energy, high-effort, right? So that's one of those things where I think those two guys fit really well. And then Kyle Kuzma, I think I agree with you guys in terms of that as well. Yes, he's on the older end. We talked about this a little bit off pod, but despite being on the older end in terms of, I guess, a rebuild, he is a guy who has asserted himself as a scorer, clearly is taking it seriously as being a number one, number two, or number three option. I think in a number one option, we kind of saw this when he was with the Lakers in his, uh, in his, uh, his rookie year. He takes that challenge very well. He takes it on the chin, and he actually is embracive of it. And for him to be in the situation where he could be that guy on a regular night, I mean, he has more double-doubles than a handful of All-Stars this season in terms of his statistical output on a night-to-night basis. And, again, another guy who is committed on the defensive end this year in ways that I think Wes Unsell Jr. will be able to appreciate, embrace, and be able to lean on a guy like that to be somewhat of a locker room figure. Now, that's a little tricky, right? But when you talk about starting a franchise from the beginning, I really do still think he's an interesting piece for that too. So those would be my three. I got I gotta go with you guys on the in the long run on that one. That those three guys are you know pretty peak in terms of the roster they have, what they have at their disposal.
0: And I don't want to play like 2K GM because I know like with the idea of trying to make up trade scenarios eight days from the trade deadline. It's likely. I mean, there's definitely a lot of new scenarios, but focusing on the the team itself, right? You have Bradley Beal expiring contract could possibly pick up the option in the summer. Montres Harrell's on a one year deal. You look, looks like you're trying to get rid with uh rid of Spencer Dinwiddie. I could honestly see a trade that sends Bradley Beal to Philadelphia, Spencer Dinwiddie to Indiana. And I think Montrezl Harrell could also find himself in Philadelphia. I, I have I, I have a weird feeling that DeMontis Sabonis also somehow gets thrown in into this deal where he could go to a different team. Maybe there's a fourth team that they could consider. Um I, I'm just interested because I know that they're you know, the idea of you know putting all these stars into one package just seems into one trade package. It seems cool. kind of crazy. But I think fit wise, you put Bradley Beal on the Sixers, you give another you give Joel and beat another scoring option. Montres Harrell with the with the 76ers may or may not give you a reason to dump Tobias Harris' contract off as well. So I don't know. Like I, I'm maybe I'm playing 2K GM a little bit and like just finagling a lot of trades, but does Is that a scenario that you think makes sense, Jalen? And i was also swing it to
2: Thomas as well. Yeah, I mean, that's tricky just out of the fact that we know other stuff is included in that. We also know that from the trade deadline standpoint, I mean, everybody is going to be clamoring while also everybody not really having money unless your name is like the Knicks, for example, right? Or if you're like everybody's trying to get in a trade that involves Oklahoma City to dump contracts off to make money work. So obviously it's going to get a little bit more complicated. Demontis ending up somewhere like the Wizards would be intriguing just out of the fact that, like, it would finally give him that opportunity to kind of just play his game in a way without having – I don't know. The thing about that is I feel like if you grab Demontis, it makes things tricky with the fact that, like, I think Miles Turner fits better next to him play style-wise than than Daniel Gaffer does. And so now do you have been picking up a guy like – like Demontis, that does that actually reduce his overall value because now you're kind of messing with his role in comparison to what Miles Turner maybe provides next to him, albeit people don't believe they can play together and all that stuff. So I don't know. I think that's kind of weird, but I feel you.
1: Well, there's that. I I actually kind of considered Demontis Sabonis already to be like a you know he's listed as a four. I really think of him more as a four point five or he he should be playing the five. He's not super fast in terms of where, like, positionally, if he was if he's out of four, he's at a disadvantage in terms of his skill set. So maybe you just want to bring him into Washington, see what he can do as a five. Also, you're, at least you're getting an asset back for Bradley Beal versus letting him walk or getting into some stranglehold position where you're forced to trade him for a less-than-average package. Uh, so you, if you're getting some bonus, I really like that trade deal, actually, because then you can start to get some pieces from – Philadelphia start to get some pieces from Indiana. They've they've both got, you know, actual tangible assets. I don't know if Daryl Morey's willing to part with the, some of those assets on the Philadelphia side, but we could actually see some some real moving movement uh for Bradley Beal and obviously I think there would need to be a third team involved. If that team is Indiana, you know, I think I could see all three teams walking out of that trade with a with a win.
0: So yeah, I think that would be that's gonna be interesting because I'm, I'm not sure how it will happen, but I think in eight days there's a possibility it could happen because I think the Wizards have assets, the Pacers for sure have assets with Miles Turner and Demontis Sabonis. Depends which one of them actually gets moved, and then Philadelphia I definitely think are going to be buyers at the market because I think that this is one of the the last chances I think for Joel Embiid in this championship window for him to get a championship in Philadelphia. So I think it's really interesting, but Jalen, let's talk about uh, the James Harden rumors because those are interesting as well.
2: Yeah. Okay. So the James Harden stuff is tricky because of the fact that it came out of left field last week, essentially talking about the idea of him being open to going to other places in the offseason. obviously for anybody that's not aware of his contract situation with the way he was, I mean, he was traded and did not pick up his uh pick up his extension or did not accept the extension that was handed out to him obviously which uh it made a a little bit of sense I'll actually read out some of the the logistics behind it really quickly one of the bigger things was that with him going into this offseason he kind of is open to other options whether that means going somewhere else or the idea of coming back to Brooklyn he didn't make that clear but when it comes to the circumstance, I'll read it out. It says the Nets did a, uh, did put a three-year $161 million max contract extension on the table this offseason. However, after this season, Harden can opt into a $47.4 million contract for next year, then sign a four-year extension off that worth an estimated $223 million. So obviously my dude was looking for a pay raise. Anybody who's good with the finances knows that you're getting about, hmm, let's see, like a smooth – 60 million bump, I think I'll be patient. It says in the final year of his contract, Harden would become the first player in NBA history to make more than 60 million in a salary season. Also a very good incentive as well, obviously. So, something else to factor in that comes up later on in this article that I was pulling this stuff from was Harden also would take a pay cut to jump to Philadelphia. This is talking about the idea of the Philadelphia 76ers wanting to make a trade form that would involve Tobias Harris and uh, and Ben Simmons, it says the jump to Philadelphia in a pure sign and trade where he would get 200 million over four years, about 23 million less than staying in Brooklyn. However, when they're when we're talking about that much money, either way, a preferred working environment wel- may well be worth more than 23 million to Harden. So there's a lot of stuff being factored in. There's the Kyrie part time player stuff. There's the fact that their roster kind of beyond the top three guys. Not too offensive, savvy, uh, offensively savvy, right? Revo- revo- relying, excuse me, on guys like Lamarcus Aldridge, who came out of retirement to give them buckets. Patty Mills is obviously playing really well. Joe Harris has been injured. Cam Thomas is being relied on a lot more than I think we expected him at the rookie uh, as a rookie guard to uh, have to play. So, Thomas, what are your thoughts on first James Harden kind of pseudo making himself available and? B, I think this, the second thing that's important to focus on is the Philadelphia 76ers play in this because we just talked about Bradley Beal and now we know about James Harden's circumstances as well. They would have to wait for James Harden as opposed, in terms of a sign and trade as opposed, more than likely, obviously, for a contract salary uh, matchup as opposed to maybe being able to make an exchange for Bradley Beal right now. So I guess, what are your thoughts on all of that? And then I guess the third point would just be, so who would you take? What would you do? Well, yeah, there's
1: lots to break down there. I don't know. It, to start off, I guess if I had to make an NBA player like match their personality to a famous rapper, James Harden would be future, right? He's just that guy, right? He's just that weird, like toxic, uh, sort of Hoodville-esque character where I don't know what I'm getting from him on a season-to-season basis. And I just... I am very I would be very scared if I was Philadelphia and I'm thinking of bringing in a guy like James Harden or a guy like Bradley Beal. Both have not won contracts, but Bradley Beal, credit to him, right? He stayed loyal to Washington this entire time. He's basically batted down trade rumors for the past 2 years until basically just recently and you know that he's going to come in, be focused and be ready for a, a championship run next year. If I'm thinking about bringing in James Harden. I have questions like, is he going to be overweight? Is he going to be healthy for more than half the season? Is he going to really commit to production? I, I do agree that James Harden, you know, he isn't doesn't have the best fit in the Brooklyn Nets. But also, you have to think about when he was joining the Brooklyn Nets, we knew he wasn't going to be the best fit. We knew the idea of him joining the Brooklyn Nets was simply because they have so much talent then that they are going to out-talent you in terms of how they're going to win games. The best fit uh, for James Harden in a lineup standpoint is really to put him at the one, put Kyrie Irving at the two, and then you've got you know Kevin Durant playing the three or the four, depending on what the rest of your lineup is. So he knew coming in that this was going to be a weird fit. I think they've only played like maybe 30 games total where all three stars were healthy also, which has been totally weird. So I don't know what what do you want from a guy like James Harden that you wouldn't also uh, be getting from a guy like Bradley Beal, and then what like what does what makes you feel more safe, right? When you're trading for Bradley Beal or James Harden, are you feeling safe trading for a guy like James Harden, or would you much rather just bring in Bradley Beal, knowing that production-wise, quite similar, and also in terms of effect? on the dynamics of a basketball court, right? Spacing the defense and things like that. I know Bradley Beal brings a lot of those same things to the table as a guy like James Harden.
2: I think that's a fair point to factor in is the consistency. I do wonder whether or not if James Harden is in his preferred destination, if his engagement and commitment will like develop and I guess increase based on that situation, right? We saw fat James Harden in Houston and we knew he wasn't intrigued with it. But as soon as, he ended up in Brooklyn the fat suit came off and everybody was wondering where it went. And now it kind of seems like in a a pseudo way, he hasn't really disengaged himself, you know, in such a drastic manner, right? Such an obvious manner. But you can clearly tell that there's discomfort there. And I can't necessarily blame him considering all the situations surrounding their team when you factor in pretty much the fact that he was trying to step away from being a one-man band with Houston. And with KD going down and with Kyrie not being available um, on a consistent basis, it almost is a redo. <laughs> it almost is a rerun of sorts with um, with Harden in, in this current situation. Um, Ryan, where do you stand on it, bro, in terms of the whole thing? Like, I mean, I I kind of agree with the idea that Bradley Beal is an asset for um, the Philadelphia 76ers might even be a little bit better. I know talent-wise, obviously, the name James Harden – fits better I understand that the idea of a James Harden Joel Embiid pick and roll sounds devastating and I do agree with that point as well but long term right this is a guy that you end up doing a sign and trade for so this is a guy you're going to end up not only picking up where you have to send over another all-star and potential assets to a team that is also an Eastern Conference rival to you you do have to factor that in But then you throw in the fact that you also have to be a part of him being extended, which is going to go into his like mid thirties, late thirties. He's already above. I think he's already like 31, right? So his extension would put him into his age 35 season, which is also something you have to factor in when signing up for a guy like James.
0: I think it's just unfortunate because. I don't think James Harden wanted to be in this predicament because I think he wanted to be in Brooklyn so that he could win a championship with Kyrie and KD, and it really just hasn't worked out, uh, mainly due to injuries. And it's weird because this this feels weirdly similar to when Greg Oden, Brandon Roy, and LaMarcus Aldridge were on the were on the Blazers in the in the mid two thousands when they played together. They were unstoppable. What was the thing that was stopping them? Injuries. KD, Kyrie, and James Harden on the floor together are unstoppable. What's making them not unstoppable? Injuries. So I think that's something interesting to kind of talk about. As far as James Harden in Philadelphia, personally, I think Bradley Beal fits better. I think if you're looking at the fact that Bradley Beal as a shooter would fit next would fit better next to Joel Embiid, I think that would be that would be a better fit. I think the one thing that you also kind of have to factor in is what James Harden are you getting? Because, you know, there's the stuff with offseason, you know, how he kind of fooled us all essentially in Houston only to come to Brooklyn and he was the same James Harden. And you know, the injuries as well. You know, he has the hand injury. It didn't really affect him that much. Uh in the game last night, actually against uh Phoenix, he dropped twenty-two points. So it didn't seem to affect him that much, but that was his first game in like five games. He had been out uh with the hand injury, so that's something to kind of factor in. I'm not really sure what Philadelphia is going to do. I just think that the dream trade to get rid of Ben Simmons is for James Harden, it looks like. So I don't know. I, I think it it would be better if they got Bradley Beal fit wise. And maybe that's a way that you can get Ben Simmons out of Philadelphia, but I'm not sure at this point, I'm just baffled that this was a story to begin with.
1: <laughs> well, I'd also like to bring up real quick. Cause I know that in the year of 2022 COVID-19, right. Uh, time feels more like a flat circle than it does anything else. Uh, It was just one year ago, uh, about this same time that Fat Suit Harden was making his debut on the the NBA stage, right? He was on Houston a year ago, mid-January, a year ago. So he made that trade rumor that he made that request. He made this whole drama situation to get himself onto Brooklyn. And now he's starting – it could look like that he's starting the gears up again, right? That he's kind of starting the campaign again to get to his next destination. If I'm going to trade for him, do I think that he in maybe another year is going to start that same, you know, situation again where he's going to try and get himself to a fourth team after Philadelphia or after, you know, another team? So, what you know, what am I getting in terms of, you know, long term? Am I really looking at him as a guy who's going to stick on my team for more than two years? I'd be I'd be nervous.
2: Yeah, I don't look at the end of the day. I really don't blame either one of you guys for going with Bradley. Obviously, we know at the end of the day, Daryl, Daryl Morey is a big fish hunter. And at the same time, that's the homie when we talk about James Harden, too. Right. So that's obviously it's other factor. I do want to I mean, we are going to wait to see how this develops and see if things kind of continue on. We have a couple of days in post trade deadline. Oh, peak content. Going to be really intriguing to see what all the shakeups are like. But. I want to end out the pod with our fifth topic in terms of top storylines being something that's more um more dependent on what flavor you're into essentially. So, Thomas, I'm going to start with you in terms of the trade deadline cuz we won't have a pod before the uh the trade deadline starts outside of this one. What is one team that you are looking at the most that you think is going to potentially make the most noise? At the NBA trade de- trade deadline, or if you don't, if you see a team that might, if you know, there's plenty of teams that might be too obvious, and you want to go a very unconventional route, who is a sneaky team that you'd like to point out to keep an eye on out on at the trade deadline, considering it could get kind of heck?
1: Well, I've got two teams for you. Uh, the first one being the Chicago Bulls, because I just see they've got 25 mil, you know, in assets that aren't playing for them right now. And they could see themselves in the Jeremy Grant sweepstakes. They could get a John Collins if they really wanted to. Uh, Jalen, you brought it before the show. Harrison Barnes is a really attractive target. Uh, And they've got to start a spot in their starting lineup, right? That power forward position. Uh, Do they really want to bring second-year player Patrick Williams to them in the playoffs when it's winning season and they're all in this season to win the championship? I don't know if I'd really be confident in that. I would be very open to making a lot of noise in the trade situation to try and get whatever piece they feel they need to make it that extra step and maybe go to the finals or make a huge run. The other team that I think is going to make a lot of noise and maybe it's a lot of empty noise, maybe they're just going to be screaming into the void, <laughs> is the Lakers. Okay. Because I just I just see them making the, a few more little moves or maybe they're going to assign a, a G League player and give him some sort of money in order to make him a trade asset. They're going to do something. They might even try and sign uh, Mac McClung to a two-year deal or something like that. You, You have no idea what they're going to do. But LeBron is desperate. He might retire at the end of the season. We don't know yet. There's going to be a lot of things going on, but I know for sure that they are going to make, do as much as possible to get Russell Westbrook off their team so that they can get something in return for him to make a run. And I have no idea what that's going to be. We have no idea what that's going to look like, but I, I would be very surprised if they don't make any noise at all.
2: See, and that's so funny that you mentioned that because that was literally how I capped off the Lakers take was like, I, even with the fact that they barely have anything to work with, somehow... Some way by hook or crook, they're gonna get it done. And that's that's insane. Like, like that's the crazy part. Like, they are the biggest wild card in the NBA out of nothing but sheer faith. Right? There's nothing on the court that is see, like, like when I think of logistical like realistic is probably the better word for me to use. Realistic dark horses within. The NBA structure, right? Talk about the Bulls, who are at the top of the East right now. Somebody who could be extremely dangerous, especially with one more move. Talk about Memphis, who's extremely dangerous, has significant depth, and has guys who are developing very quickly. John Morant's on year three now, right? And we're talking about guys like yeah. Desmond Bain in year two that are that are developing as ball handlers. Jaron Jackson Jr. has been healthy all season, and they are one trade away from maybe being in the mix as well as somebody that will be a major player come postseason time. Dallas, I don't know if Jason Kidd put something in the water to make the defense this good, but apparently through 50-plus games, it's been solid, right? Luka Doncic hasn't been the MVP candidate. We thought he was going to be coming into the year, but we can't sleep on his production. Um, Jalen Brunson's been really good, so on and so forth. Those are traditionally what I would view as a, a, a wild card in this in this or a, a dark horse. Somehow the Lakers are a dark horse out of the mere fact that they have LeBron James and blind faith, and we're all a part of it. So I want to go back to something that Thomas said earlier when ta- talking about Andrew Wiggins. It, it, we might just might have simulation time. It might just be simulation time. You know what I mean? We might just have to. We might we might just see what, what manifestation gets done in the nba but ryan what what is a team who is a team or what are some teams either on a mainstream level in terms of ones that you think are going to make a lot of noise or some sneaky teams that you think can make a a move or two that can make them extremely
0: dangerous jalen i think this is the trade deadline where we finally figure out what the sacramento kings are going to do because i have Four players that may or may not determine the future of where this team goes. De'Aaron Fox, Tyrese Halliburton, Marvin Bagley III, and Buddy Heel. I think if they get rid of, if they trade De'Aaron Fox or Tyrese Halliburton, it will definitely open up more minutes for Davion Mitchell. Buddy Heal has been on the trade block for what feels like four years now. And Marvin Bagley just recently, earlier in the season, should I say, um, requested a trade out of Sacramento. So I think it just depends what the future is going to look like. Are they in the Ben Simmons sweepstakes? Of course they are. It seems like every team is. But um, it's just a matter of what they're going to do because they have assets. They have the players that can make an impact on different teams. De'Aaron Fox isn't having the best year right now, but – You look at years past, he is a great scorer, and he's a really fast player. He works on a fast-paced offense at his best. Buddy Heald is a pretty consistent three-point shooter. We may or may not have seen the best of Marvin Bagley yet. And Tyrese Halliburton, second, third option on a championship-caliber team. That sounds pretty good as well. So I'm just interested to see what they're going to do.
2: I pray that you're right. That's how. That's how I'm, That's the best way I can phrase it. I pray that you are right because I think that Sacramento needs a shakeup that is like through the roof. For a team that has been out of the playoff mix for this long, De'Aaron Fox seems a bit disengaged um, on both sides of the floor. Tyrese Halliburton has been really good when De'Aaron's been out. I think that's something they should take into consideration as well. And... You know, Thomas. Actually, I want to get your thoughts on this because we brought this up on a past pod. And I think it's important when talking about trading De'Aaron Fox specifically because I think a Sacramento King, Kings fan might punch through you when you say something like that, coming this close to the trade deadline. But I think there's something to factor in that I want to get your thoughts on when they traded Dave. They when they when they picked up Tyrese Halliburton, and then went into another draft and picked up Davion Mitchell. My thought process on it is that, or my belief is that they actually hurt themselves more than help themselves. My thought on that is because although they tried to create a defensive minded philosophy around this team, A, they tried to centrally do it around one player that is coming in and isn't like a world beater in terms of being able to do it on both sides of the floor, which means you can only assert yourself but so much. And number two, it's at the guard position, which is pretty backed up, especially considering they chose not to trade Buddy Heal. So I think that they actually hurt themselves because now they've essentially put De'Aaron Fox in a lesser and lesser role by giving these guys more and more opportunity. So what are your thoughts on the idea of trading a guy like De'Aaron Fox when you look at the construct of their roster? And do you think it's more about them needing to build around him or more so them needing to move off of him and look elsewhere?
1: Well, I know that, I mean, I'm like a secondary Kings fan, right? I've got a lot of friends <laughs> who are Kings fans. And okay. I'm from the area. Basically, right. uh, they made a really big deal at the beginning of the season. Like the Kings franchise, their whole PR side of things that this was the year, right? That they were going to break that streak and that they were going to make the playoffs. And then if you look at crunch time numbers, De'Aaron Fox is at the very bottom, right? He has one of the worst crunch time players of this entire season. And, you want to tell me that you want to win games, and then you've got the worst crunch time player on your team on the court in those moments. It's it's gonna be a bad time, right? Why don't you get rid of him? Start building around Tyrese Halliburton. I think the idea of D'Aaron do- Davion and Tyrese was to try do one of those like trendy three-guard lineups, right? Because Tyrese is a bit of size. Davion Mitchell can defend above his size and you know, De'Aaron Fox would then be like a traditional six three point guard. Uh, obviously, that hasn't really worked out for them, but I, I think that at the outset, that was, you know, each one of these guys has a unique thing they can bring to the table. But now the odd one out is De'Aaron Fox. Their team needs to get a lot younger because they're going to need to rebuild and actually rebuild for two to three, four years before they are going to have any shot at playoff relevancy if they're only going to go for the playoffs then the conversation is a little bit different right if they only want to be an eighth seed the entire for like their entire franchise goal is to be an eighth seed which is what i think it really is right now right there's (laughs) there's a disconnect between you know what you should do as a healthy organization and do as a as an organization that wants to put uh sell tickets and and put butts in seats right so if you're from uh, Sacramento Kings franchise perspective, and you just want to sell tickets. You might really just think about being a sixth, seventh seed and keeping De'Aaron Fox and just trying to sell tickets on the Tyrese Halliburton hype, which, you know, that could be something they want to do. Mm. But if you want to be serious and win championships, I think Tyrese Halliburton has shown enough that, yeah, you've said it. Second or third on an option on a championship team. That's a real possibility for his future. I think Davion Mitchell, if you watch him, he came into the league and is supposed to be this defensive guard. Obviously, rookies are. It's it's going to be hard for rookies to defend in their first year. So I think you have to wait and see and give it a lot of time uh, in order to watch him develop for that aspect. And then you've got a lot of other great pieces that could be good trade ships. So set up for your future. Don't set up for now. But we'll have to see with the Kings because their their roster could be in one place, but their minds could be in a completely different. And we'll just have to wait and see what the pulse is. I know that. I mean, I've heard reports out of uh, Sacramento that their general manager, Monty McNair, has to pitch every idea that he has to the ownership level and to the front office. He has to get the green light for everything. Imagine trying to run your team and be the general manager of your team and having to do that and having to convince your ownership Where you're the one being paid to know basketball. They aren't. They're paying you to know basketball. Yet you have to convince them on every single move. So a lot of these moves, right? Marvin Bagley over Luka Doncic, uh, that could have been made by the ownership, right? There, that could that that might not be on all on the Kings franchise. There's a lot of uh, toxic front office things at work. So we'll just have to see and wait and see in terms of where the pulse actually is. But I wouldn't be surprised if they just sputter around for a few more years because I don't really see how you uh, resolve any sort of any any sort of tension in that or into that organization without some really drastic move or some like NBA executive or some like yeah commissioner basically like stepping in and running the team for them for a little while. There has to be something huge like that in order to to solve the situation in Sacramento. It goes really deep, in my
2: opinion. I think that's a great point. They're like kind of like focusing on the idea that there's almost divine intervention needed at this point when you talk about this team. I mean, just to kind of finish up on them real quick before I give my team and we get out of here. Like, just my thoughts on them are that they have the assets. They even have the team construct, but their front office has to make a choice on who they want to be. Thomas, you said it a lot about the idea of them being a team in one headspace, but a front office in another. And I think that that's one of those disconnects that I think any team cannot overcome. And until they figure that out, they can do whatever they want at the trade deadline. It's not really going to matter. That's my... Overall thoughts on the Kings. My sneaky team to watch at the trade deadline is Minnesota. Minnesota mm-hmm. is sniffing in the playoffs right now in the eighth seed. And this is, this is the best start that they've had in a while. And they've got guys like Malik Beasley. They've got guys like Patrick uh, uh, Beverly that they are already open to shopping. Obviously, Anthony Edwards has come around pretty well. I think Carl anthony Towns deserves an all-star spot with the way he's been playing this year, too. Um, so they've been pretty solid across the board. They've also been really good on defense, which I, which I think a lot of people wouldn't have been um, too high on, or I don't think a lot of people were too keen on coming into the year. It'll um, really be interesting to see what they do, see if they can get some more guys that can lock up on the on the perimeter. I think the other thing would just be get some, get somebody else who can really spell minutes whenever Carl, Carl Anthony Towns comes off the floor. I feel like they got the guard spots pretty figured out but between the 3 4 and the 5 i think you could always kind of upgrade at those spots how drastic of an upgrade maybe nothing significant but i think to a certain extent you know guys who might be able to fit what they're trying to do add more strength and length to their team as well as buy some more minutes like i said for carl when he's on the bench i think that'll be huge and they've got they've got the assets i think for it too um well, that's it, fellas. I mean, that, that that's a vibe, right? I mean, we got eight days. I got to keep saying it because it's so important. It's one of our big holidays in the NBA is the NBA trade deadline. It is around the corner. It's going to be so intriguing to see what happens with it because there's a chance that a lot of the teams that we're looking at right now are not going look to the, look the exact same in a couple of days. But with that, Ryan, you know what, man? You know what, Thomas? Thomas. I need to give you a secondary plug, my guy. You got a lot of okay. stuff on your plate. I got we gotta we gotta give him a second chance to I get all of his, that. get all of his content out there. I realize, my guy's been pretty busy these last couple of months. Get, plug your content one more time for us, bro.
1: Okay, for sure. Yeah, I've been busy because I broke my shoulder, so I have to spend a lot of time enjoying <laughs> right now. Uh, but in that time, yeah, so I am a writer for Belly Up Sports, so I've got an NBA weekly column for them. Uh, Go check out all the good work at bellyupsports.com because they've got some great stuff coming out. NBA, NFL, hockey, Major League Baseball, they do it all, Uh, and I do NBA. So then I've also got uh, NTD News. So I'm going to do a California Today's News segment. So if you want to look at some hardcore news or some local news to the California area, if you're from California – then go ahead and check that out as well. well. You get some regular news, maybe some educational things. You want to know what's going on in the world. And then you get me as a reward because I'm at the van. And then, of course, I do the Goated Podcast. So if you want to go check me out, my Twitter is at ThomasGoatMBA. I stream on Twitter and I stream through Warzone Sports YouTube channel and their Twitch stream. So we do that every Friday. I'm live at 3.05 Pacific Time. Uh, If you're on the East Coast, that's about 6 p.m., and then on Mondays, I edit the podcast. So if you don't want to listen to the live version, you can catch that on Mondays. It comes out edited uh, without all of the annoying comments or technical difficulties as well. So that's all good. And we have guests on that weekly. So yeah, that would be everything that you want that, to find me. At, it would be at, at Thomas Goat NBA on Twitter. So go give me a follow and then check out all my stuff that's linked in my bio.
2: Yes, sir. Of course. Of course. And like we said at the top of the uh, at the top of the pod, all that stuff will be linked in the description as well to include. Check out the homie Thomas. bro. Right? He's doing a little bit of everything. You heard it. You heard it yourself. He's doing a little bit. of, He's dabbling in a lot of spaces right now, he's getting his arm back together, too. So that's that's always <laughs> good trajectory. But Ryan, we are done, bro. That's our trade deadline preview, bro. Like feels good, doesn't it? Oh, man. Get us up out of here, bro. Did excellent today. We want to
0: thank our guest, Thomas Christian, for coming back on the pod and talking some hoops with us. Definitely more than welcome uh, if you want to come back. We'll definitely do this again sometime it, down sure. the road. Transitioning to our question of the day for our fans, who is one team that you think will make the most noise at the trade deadline? This has been a great episode today on the Hoop Talk podcast. Of course, make sure when you subscribe to us on Apple, you rate our podcast five stars, and subscribe to us wherever you get your podcast we will see you guys next episode peace